Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's a Tuesday. I'm going to do the Haftorah. I started to do one and I messed up, so I'm going to try again. Once again, this is being sponsored by a very good sponsor, um, Abe Gluck, in, in, in memory of his folks. Yard said is this week. And as I said before, very grateful. Neshamus Shanali and his Zechus. And Zechus of everybody listening. And now we're looking at the uh, prophet Isaiah. Okay. And I was going to take a look at the Abarbanel, but then I just began to think of my own. I mean, I know what the Abarbanel does. He tries to interpret the events in Yeshayahu for his time. You know, the Spanish Inquisition, 1492, and all the rest of it. That's the characteristic of the Abarbanel. In fact, he has whole books on it, Mashmir Yeshua and so forth. Um, and, of course, he, in his time, the Spanish Jews were freaking out. You know, why did they have a Corbin in Spain? 1492, they tried to interpret it messianically. I think many people are familiar with that sort of thing. I've certainly spoke about it in the past. But I want to concentrate on a different part. And that is just something that struck me. And that is, when you look at this Haftorah, which is the famous prophecy of Ishayo, a glorious future of... A lot of L'chadodis from over here. Hisnari, Hisori, and so forth and so on. You know, so you have some quite remarkable, um, how shall I put it, uh, statements. Okay? One of the biggies towards the end is the emphasis, which I find interesting, on the public nature of the Hiskalos. Um, which is really interesting in terms of modern technology. You know, in the Roshonim times, and before, when they say, I see, did I see, um, you know, the herald, how does he translate over here? How beautiful are the feet of the messenger, the good news who announces the harbinger of good news, that So what he's trying to say is, that the, when the Mashiach comes, and all that, it'll be well-known public knowledge. So they probably thought that there will be literally a herald running over mountains and stuff, screaming real loud, and people will hear it, or, or metaphorically. Although, given the technology of the ancient world, the best that could have happened was that Hashem would bring a spirit of something or other on the rulers of the country. They would let the Jews all move to Israel. The guy would move out. And mainly the Jews have their own kingdom. But physically speaking, nobody would witness this. You know what I'm saying? Because everybody lived far away and there was no phones or no technology. And it's okay, but again, only few will see it. Now, if you're Jewish, I mean, at first glance, it's like this. Heck with the guy, what do I care whether they see it or not? <laughs> you know? For example, they say by the Kriyas Yamsu was supposed to be, you know, public his scholars, Al-Kus, or, and the whole world saw it. Really? I mean, where's that written in history? Now, I know the Chazal's about it. But really, as far as you can tell, who saw the Kriyas Yamsa? The Jews and those Egyptians who later perished in the water. 
if it would have been in the 20th century, everybody would be f holding their phones up <laughs> as, you know, the uh, your, your cell phone, the, the phone you don't have, right? I'm not talking about the ones you have. I'm talking about the phones you don't have. <laughs> uh, and they'd be recording it. If the Mashiach came tomorrow, you'd see tens of thousands of from Jews and going, everybody with their phone sticking out, <laughs> recording it. So it'd be on the TikTok, it'd be on the Facebook and so forth. You understand? Uh, that would be the nature of it now. It's funny to think that way, but that's how it would be. Now, in the time of the Rishonim and others, Arbanel, they had to do this metaphorically. The herald on the mountains, you know, is a metaphor that somehow or other the, the Goyim will be aware, they'll hear audially that the Jews have returned to Israel and rebuilt the temple. Omer letziach malach el It's a metaphor. The same way that we would say when you daven every day, Tekabash over Gadol Cherisenu, right? It's a metaphor. Won't be a, a giant chauffeur, because no chauffeur is that loud, but it's a way of saying that, you know, the world will learn about it and, and, and know it. It'll be on the on the, on the the drum, the tom-toms. Uh, fine. But you and I know that one of the major revolutions of the last several centuries is the rise of, my, of uh, the incredible revolution in, tech, in, in, in information and communications. That, you know, you can see around the world in a second. And your phone really brings you everything. I don't have to tell you this. And with another 10, 20 years, you won't need a phone. They'll stick it in your nose and they'll put a chip in your eyeball. And you can see the moon. You know, you see what's on the other side of Mars. And we're used to this. Now, the question is then raised. I'm going to give a very religious type question. Israel Salanter type question. Why did God arrange in the last 100, 200 years this communications revolution? Right? A religious person says everything there for a reason. What would the reason be? First of all, I don't know. Nobody knows. But what suggests itself? What suggests itself? Again, this is just a suggestion. Well, a major element, it seems, of the Geula and the Messianic process, at least from our Haftorah and similar passages in such prophecies, is the public nature of the final Geula. You see, I'm Jewish, and me, myself, and I, if somebody would just send me a telegram, pack up your bags, French concussions, get on the next plane to Israel, don't tell anybody where you're going, you land in Israel, Mashiach's already here, you know, everybody gets this 52-bedroom house, you see uh, the basement makes we built and all that. I said, what do I care if the other people in Baltimore know about it, don't know about it? Same thing like a guy wins the Powerball lottery. Well, you got to be a dummy and tell everybody, shut up. It's good enough, you got it. So if the Jews got their, um, you know, geula, what do they care what somebody else thinks? But you see, that's, that's a very selfish, it's a human. You're not supposed to think that way. Because really, 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 the Jewish religion is supposed to be committed to the enlightenment of mankind. I know we're very ethnocentric. We've been beaten up by the best, by experts, and therefore we like circle the wagons. And it's natural to think of number one and the heck with number two, nor anybody else. So as I said before, if I got Eretz Yisrael and we have what we want and we have security and all the rest of it, especially if you're like the Ramban, you get, you know, kolor, um, um, 
What do I care what's going on in Japan? What do I care what, what the Africans think, what the Europeans think, and the others? Let them go their merry way. If they want to invade Russia, Ukraine, all the rest, is their business. Leave me alone. But I repeat, you're actually not supposed to think that way. Instead, every frumdub is supposed to be like we're going to bedub in our prayers within a few weeks on Rosh Hashanah. But you want to you want the whole world to acknowledge God and you want to fulfill the kind of words that whatever it is you know all that which means that as a good Evid you want your master to, to be famous and renowned what we call Kiddush Hashem that's part of being a good Evid. And similarly, therefore, when the messianic process t- takes place, which is going to be supposed to be amazing, they say, oh, bigger than Yitzhak Mitzrayim. So I want it to be different than Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Because in Yitzhak Mitzrayim, nobody saw it except the Jews and the Egyptians. The others may have heard about it. They either believe it or didn't believe it. I mean, let's put it this way. You can't deny that there's no historical evidence that the exodus of Egypt ever took place, which means that if, speaking from a historical point of view in terms of documents, which means if the Yitzhak Shem made his big splash around the world, we have not found the documents yet to say so. I'm not impressed with the fact that Egypt doesn't mention it, because they're liars, and that's very typical for Mitzrayim, that they tell the, the opposite of truth. That's called Baghdad Bob, remember? But the whole world, Nobody, no mention of it? You hear what I'm saying? So for whatever reason, you'll say in the ancient times, when Jews left Egypt, there wasn't TV or anything like that. And so those who heard about it, heard about it. And those who heard about it, second, third hand, only heard about it, second, third hand. Right? But, when it comes to the final Gula, which is the subject of our Haftorah today, the, the 51, 52 chapters in Yeshayahu, there's a constant emphasis on the fact that this is going to be public before Hessian, the guy will see it. There'll be, like I said before, the whole world will see the, the, the feet of the Mavasar Tov. The Mashiach or Elio, Novi, whatever. Mashmiah Shalom Mavasar Tov, Mashmiah Yeshua. Omer Litzion Malach Eloyach, the world will see this. That's what it says. Kold Sofayach Nosu Kol Yachtav Yarnenu. What do these words mean? Kold Sofayach. What do you call it? Nasu kol yachtav yiraneinu. That's remarkable. Your watchmen lift their voices and sing together out loud. He ayin ba'ayin yiru b'shubtim. They'll actually see it. Ayin ba'ayin. I mean, you can't get more explicit than that. They'll mamashi b'shub Hashem tiyum, which means that the shechina. I mean, let's put it this way. They're talking about something heavy. Okay? Now, why this emphasis on the whole world singing? Obviously, it makes a difference. You see from over here that the Navi is saying that the Geula of the Jewish people will be the prelude to the Geula of mankind. I don't say it happens right away. Nobody knows exactly how that stuff happens. There are a lot of guesses. Nobody knows the exact scenario, the dramatics. Simply because you don't know. Plus, the new invention come all the time, put a different spin on it. You know what I mean? I mean, today, with uh, 
YouTube and Facebook and all that business. You could totally hear it. Everybody will see, you know, somebody coming and pronouncing Molech HaLakayich. It'll be, it'll be on TV, so to speak. It could be on, on CNN. I mean, not to be funny. Nowadays, it's possible. What the VM took is the metaphor. Now you say, maybe not. You know, maybe not. All I know is that there's an emphasis in this Haftar, which I find fascinating, on the fact that the Goyim are going to see it. Chosaf Hashem Israel Kodcho, Le'eni Kol HaGoyim, Verol Kol Afsayor says Yeshua Selahinu. These are something you just read, you pass by, the people don't think too much about it. Again, it's a powerful statement. Chosaf Hashem Israel Kodcho, what does that mean? God's going to roll up his, his sleeves. That's what that means. God is wearing a coat. You can't see his powerful arms. You can't see it. Maybe in the old days, he's not even wearing a coat, because today coats are more or less body-fitting. Those days, he had these royal cloaks and things like that. Imagine an old king. You know, pictures of an old king. Old pictures, I should say, of a king. And, you know, they have these, you know, heavy sleeves and so forth. And then Hashem is... I mean, it's not me talking, it's the prophet. Chos of Hashem is Ruach Kodcho, Le'enik HaLagayim. God's going to roll up his sleeve in front of the Goyim. So obviously, this is a major part of the messianic process. The wisdom shot, I think, this is just my opinion. What it means is that the goal. How should I put this? We're always wondering when is the goal going to happen? So, in Jewish tradition, as you know very well, there's Beit Anachishana, which means. If the Jewish people all repent, they'll come now. If not, they'll have to wait to a certain time. Okay. Let me put it this way. Don't look like they're all going to repent too soon. Not for 2,000 years. Sorry to say it. That's how it looks. Correct? Especially if you take this stuff seriously. You know, Muslim style. I mean, they got a long way to go. Okay? So, you're not going with that. Achishana, you're going Beito. With the predestined time. When is the predestined time? So here's the point I want to make. We traditionally think that it's something mysterious. God's going to do it at a certain point when he knows best. And it's useless even to speculate what would be the factors that would motivate it. I mean, you can play around with the ideas. You can do like they do and say, you know, maybe the Jews will get so bad that I have no choice. All different ways of thinking, right? But what we omit, I think, is the consideration of the people of the universe who are not Jewish. Because the final geula, if it comes at the at the Be'ito time, the final set time, is going to be geula that takes place within the context of a general geula of all mankind. I don't say it's going to happen at the same time, for all I know, it could be five minutes later, five centuries later. I don't know. I mean, how could I possibly know? But we believe that the salvation of Jews will lead to the salvation of mankind. This is the second paragraph of Olenu. Agreed? Agreed? 
They should have, if you get like into Ramchali and all that, they should have gotten it right at the time of Noah. Okay, they didn't. Fine. So you have to concentrate on Avram. I get that. But sooner or later, it's got to come around that, you know, it's for the whole human race, which is the language you say in Rosh Hashanah Davening the Musaf. Right? By Zechronis, is it? You know, multiply the children of Noah. I mean, that's a funny one. Why should I pray to multiply the children of Noah? It's enough as it is. <laughs> you know Too many. Uh, why don't I pray to multiply the, the, the children of Yaakov, not of Noah? Apparently I'm wrong, right? Because the Rosh Hashanah liturgy is very lofty and very universalistic, and therefore goes back to very early Jewish roots. And so, if you're going to be talking about a Be'ita type of thing, where God's waiting for the right moment, it's not only the right moment when the Jews are ready, it's also got to be the world when the human race is ready. So that they're going to see what happens, and it will trigger some kind of revolution or evolution in their thinking. And I don't say necessarily because I don't know, obviously, whether they're going to say in this madrega, that madrega, if they'll give up all the idols, if they'll, you know, acknowledge the claws for all. Who knows? All I know is, part of the messianic plan is it has to be visibly seen by all the guy. Which today, as I said before, with modern technology, you don't have to read metaphorically. And if he wants the guy to see it, it's got to be more than just, eh, 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 you know, you, you dummies, look at us. Right? Look at us. It's not going to be like that. Now, they used to be, Suru, Suru, Tsumisham, Tommy Altigo, Tsumi Tochi, Bar Nosi, Kleyashan. They used to make fun of the Jews, but they won't now. They won't now. And he even says, I think that it's not going to be like Egypt. In my opinion, I think the way to read the Pasuk is like this. It won't be When you left Egypt, it was Bechipazon. So what it means is, again, this is just my opinion. What it means is, if the Jews would have waited the full 400 years that they were supposed to be, in Mitzrayim, as in the Brisbane Mitzrayim, then the, the Goyim, including the Egyptians, would have so evolved by that time, this was the plan, that by the time the Jews leave, um, what do you call it, uh, you know, the, the, the Goyim be ready for for their spiritual evolution, whatever you want to call it. Even though it says, Achrichin, Don Anochi, something like God said, Don Anochi, but Don Anochi is a very uh, uh, ambiguous term. Doesn't I'll judge him. Doesn't mean he'll punish him or anything like that. Maybe the biggest Don Anochi would be that they would have to acknowledge the supremacy of Klal Yisrael with sticks in their throat. But Klal Yisrael couldn't wait that long because they themselves were Memtesh Aritoma. And so they had to leave B'Bichi Poton. Okay. So they left before they're ready. More importantly, they left before the rest of the human race, before the Egyptians were ready. And therefore, 
the Yitzhiz Mitzrayim, while very important from the narrow perspective of the survival of Klai Yisrael as such, did not have the big splash in the history of the world that it might otherwise have had, and did not lead to a messianic era, so to speak. Next time, says the Novi in this week's Haftarah, you're not going to go fast. Right? It's going to go slow, meaning Hashem's going to wait, barring unforeseen circumstances. He's going to wait till the time is right. And when the time is right, then and the world will change. And so what you're seeing over here is not only a glorious prediction, if you want to call it that, of you know the future for the for the Klai Yisrael, which they want, but it's also bringing in the nations of the world because otherwise it's hard to understand how the messianic era will unfold. By that I mean they'll let the Jews in, but they'll still be anti-Semitism. So sooner or later they'll get fed up and they'll attack the Jews again. I'm not getting into the question of the exact scenario because that's a complicated side question. But in general, how do we understand to be a universal peace? You know, uh, what's the expression? Uh, all that stuff. So some people just simply don't give it much thought and they think, listen, Hashem runs the world, can do whatever he wants. He'll put it that nobody can attack us. Okay, I mean, I get that. But does it make more sense to say when it says Lo that, that the human race will become more enlightened than that and they'll move on? Because the truth of the matter is, as we all know, as a human race, we're really pretty stupid. By that I mean, everybody knows, I've said it many times, it's not necessary for anybody in the world to be hungry. It's not necessary for any kid in the world to walk around barefoot. We got enough food, we got enough clothes, all the rest of it. The resources are there. It's a maldistribution. Not because of Marxism, because of hatred, wars, nationalities, and all this other junk. You look at these other continents, the third world continents and all the rest of it. It's a few people holding everything at the top and all the masses starving at the bottom. I'm not saying the masses are tzaddikin, but nevertheless... It's a maldistribution. We have today the wherewithal to fix everything. But you know the old line, they don't listen to me. <laughs> right? The human race does not see, I sound like other world, does not need to spend zillion dollars on the weapons. Suppose they say, let's just stop fighting each other and let's cooperate. I mean, that's not miraculous what I said. It is within the natural realm. It is possible for people to say, let's stop killing and let's go another direction. This was the idealistic ideas originally behind the United Nations and Woodrow Wilson and the League of Nations. And it's not a stupid idea. It's only stupid because it ignores the reality, unfortunately, the cynical reality of all the countries. Notice it's a nebuch that it's, that it's uh, uh, not real. It's not, I'm happy that it's not real. It's I acknowledge the human race being what it is, when they set up the United Nations, for example, you had Stalin and Mao and all that. You know, I'm not happy. It's how it turned out. But in a better world, which we choose to believe in, you'd have a situation of Lois Goyal, Goy and all the rest of it. Right? Uh, and that would not require 
you know, a, a fire to come out from heaven, a yamsif to split, a donkey to talk, it would just require people to be a little more logical. Right? Why is that I can't walk around anywhere? I'm going to walk around in Baltimore. You can't walk around here. Why, why is it like that? Yeah, it doesn't have to be. It just is a human perversity. So the human race, you know, wasn't ready at the time he sees from trying. But next time, they will be. Unfortunately, it may be that you and I pay the price for that because waiting for that degree of, what's the right word, maturity on the part of mankind, that's a long wait. Meanwhile, we're still holding it every third world country once again, H-bomb, the Iranians want to blow up the world, the Russians want to blow up the world. You know, it's what it is. You still have people, many people, that they say like this, if I don't get my way, I'll blow up everything. I mean, a lot of countries are like that. You have these nuts running these countries. Even from the point of view of their own people. I don't want to get in a soapbox. I'm just saying, I think most Iranians probably in Iran realize that they're just stuck with this clique over there at the top. And that's true in country after country. So it means that, you know, the the, the human race hasn't seen it yet. In our Haftar, when he talks about Mamasha, a glorious future, he's really seeing far down the line. I mean, in what you have over here is Uri, Uri, Libshi, Yuzech, Tsiam, Libshi, Big Desif, Hartech, Yushalayim, Ki Lo Yosef, Od Boch, Arovotami, Hisnari, Meofer, Kumik, Shri Yushalayim. I mean, this is expressions of tremendous, you know, the enlightenment of the human race, of glory. So that's the evolutionary process. Hashem hasn't given the whole world a political lobotomy and start all over again and said, now be nice. He's waiting for the human race to, to get there. And even though in some kind of theoretical way, people agree with it, but they only agree on their own terms. Tell a Muslim radical, for example, you know, when he's a jihadist, why doesn't everybody uh, get along in peace? Okay, he'll say, yeah, sure. If everybody agrees with me and goes under my control, we'll have peace. You know, everybody thinks like that. So to get past that, that's a trick. I think that it's very interesting that in this Haftorah, the universalistic aspect is blended together in complicated ways with the ghoul of Kali Yisrael. The trouble is, sometimes a person can say, this, I am chained to a corpse, <laughs> you know? I'm stuck with this guy. I can't get out of it. It's like one of these movies. I can't get out of the, uh, uh, you know, what's the right word? I can't untie the chain unless the other one also does. And the other one won't do it. So we have the glorious future held back and restrained by human perversity. That, my friends, is classic Yeshayahu. Anyway, with that, um, thoughtful piece. Once again, I want to thank Lux for sponsoring this week and wish everybody a good time. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.